Thank you so much Kushal happy to be here again we did one a long time ago you haven't called me since <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah guilty as charged guilty as charged so okay sunanda so let's start with this so the first allegation or this thing has been thrown is matlab you're doing aapki adalat with me <laughs> yeah yeah so so first allegation yeah so first allegation that gets thrown out every time is they say that terrorism na abruptly start hua tha 1989 mein uh before that uh, everything was hunky dory people were holding hands and singing kumbaya and you know kashmiriyat was like all over the place there was kashmiriyat in your arms kashmiriyat was in your shirt kashmiriyat was in your pant everywhere there was kashmiriyat so so what is it yeah you know you cannot the problem with understanding kashmir really is that where do you begin that's the main problem where does the history begin does history begin in 1989 90 does history begin in 86 when anantnag um, massacre happened um does um history begin in 19 53 does and i'll tell you why these dates are important does history begin in 1947 or does history really begin in 14th century when islamic conquest of kashmir happened so for historians and for myself and for all those people who are interested in having scholarly discussion in on kashmir you really have to go back a very long time because uh honestly the story of kashmir is also the story of dwindling uh, demographics right from the islamic conquest so but for the purpose of this podcast because we don't have all the time in the world and we can always do this again in a different because we're talking about this current thing in wake of the film kashmir files that has been um, released and a lot of people have a lot of questions so we will start from 80s let's make that a convenient point not because history starts there but for purposes of this discussion it might be useful to sort of peg it there and then we can um, uh, you know in other discussions we can talk about stories in the past the terrorism and i because i was there and it's very difficult for people to uh, uh, you know uh, i see a lot of people there are more experts about kashmir than there are uh, 
Kashmiri domiciles or Kashmiri residents or Kashmiri people. That's that's what happens. conflict You know, when conflict becomes uh, as long as conflict of Kashmir has been, then experts also increase exponentially. People who do not know where Kashmir is on the map, they also become, um, you know, um, um, Kashmir experts. People who don't understand that people of Kashmir are inherently different from people of Jammu and people of Jammu are different from people of Ladakh, you know, even though they become um, um, experts, which is fine. This is a free country. But uh, terrorism cannot be usually a date is given to terrorism, which is um, December of 1989, December 8 of 1999. That's when Rubaya Sayyid, daughter of uh, then Union Home Minister, um, Mufti Mohammed Sayyid was kidnapped, his younger daughter. And that's that's one date that is given. Then there is the date of 19th January 1990, which Kashmiri Hindus often talk about because that is the day that it really, you know, came down. It was a culmination of a lot of things. However, if you look at it very carefully, this had been building up. It did not happen in one day. It did not happen in two days. The entire history from 80s, even which I have personally witnessed, it was never, even when um, Hindi cinema was capturing Kashmir as Yash Chopra's Kashmir and doing uh, all these film songs there and um, talking about, uh, you know, doing all those, um, uh, you know, talking about Pashmina and talking about Shikara and talking about all that, you know, this very idyllic picture of Kashmir um, that was portrayed to the rest of India. And that's why I think shock happened because you only saw Kashmir till then through the movies. And you only saw beautiful slopes of Gulmarg, you only saw mountains, you only saw um, Hindi film heroines dancing in the forests and on the streams. And you, you never understood what was going on there. The story of my micro minorities, by the time we're talking about, we're talking about 80s, uh, Hindus of Kashmir had already been reduced to micro minority. We were about four or five percent of the population already. So you can imagine how a micro minority, most people, it's hard to visualize, but when you are a micro minority in a mostly Islamist state, or an overly Islamic um, background or a you know state, it is stifling. It is very very difficult to even breathe. And I have given these examples. I have said that even the identity. It was very common to um, sort of not go out uh, with a bindi on your head for women. Or um, I've already said that, or they would wear bindi in their houses or at places they knew they were secure, but in public transport, they would, you know, take off their bindis, tiny things like that. Um, young boys were told that if you are playing a game of cricket with the neighbors, don't get into trouble. Always, always stay out of trouble. If anybody ever says anything to you, just stay out. Of, don't say anything. Come back home. You know, my aunts would tell that to their teenager sons. Um, it was, it was, if not a feeling of siege, which came later, but early 80s was a feeling of a very strong feeling of being a minority in a very hostile majority. That was already there even in early 80s. And 
slowly uh, the um, tallest leader of kashmir as they say sheikh mohammed abdullah in his autobiography uh, um, atishe jinar had already referred to um, kashmiri hindus as fifth colonists he had already referred to them as agents of state he had already called them um, uh, you know mukbirs or people who are in other words an impediment to what he would not say was islamization of kashmir so most people thought that that the, this bunch of people here they they work as agents of indian state they are all mukbirs of indian state they are all impediments for us to make this an islamic state that that always existed so there was always that yeah, fear however armed struggle nahi there was in early 80s still 81 82 83 the guns had not stopped had not come in that came later when um, because ziaul haq had planned that uh, the latest round of um, kashmir you know the tragedy that we see or the terrorism was hatched by ziaul haq because he you know it was uh, even though um, bhutto had already given a war for 1000 cuts bleed india by 1000 cuts but going by that policy and going ziaul haq had finally said that we are going to create these um, uh, camps in pok where people will be trained and they will come and they will lead a armed struggle against indian state ye baat to thi why was yaul haq successful because pakistan has always been plotting against india ye koi nayi baat to nahi they only exist to destroy india in their own minds uh, because of which they are only destroying themselves as we can see even to this point pakistani army only exists to uh, tell people that they exist to fight india in some mythical war where they are going to win which is not going to happen but they have this um, notion that that is their raison d'etre that's why they exist why was yaul haq particularly uh successful in that period is because indian government under rajiv gandhi from 1984 remember he came to power in 1984 1984 to 89 when he had complete power 400 odd seats in lok sabha his kashmir policy was so messed up and so wrong that he really became a partner to ziaul haq's mission if you understand what i'm trying to say so in 1984 by this time i you know problems had already started we were already living under you know hostile majority so to speak then suddenly we saw that boys from 15 13 14 15 16 this age group they would disappear you know our neighborhood because we we lived in um uh neighborhoods with muslims i mean I, especially me in srinagar we lived in a neighborhood where there were muslims all around so my mother would go to a local milk wala and say where is your son they would say 
अरे वो ट्रेनिंग करने गया है दिस वॉज वेरी कॉमन सो माई मदर वुड कम एंड शी वुड से इन हर अर्नेसनेस एंड इन हर दिस का बेटा इज गॉन फॉर सम इंजीनियरिंग ट्रेनिंग बिकॉज दैट इज ऑल शी अंडरस्टूड ट्रेनिंग इंजीनियरिंग सो शी थॉट इंजीनियरिंग की ट्रेनिंग करनी है गई शी से आई एम सो हैप्पी फॉर हेम यू नो ही इज गॉन टू स्टडी गेट अ डिग्री ऑफ इंजीनियरिंग एंड देन शी वुड कम अनदर डे यू नो बट इज न्यूज पेपर वाले का बेटा भी गायब है उसको वो भी इंजीनियर बनने गया है so that you know people were asking where have they gone it only became clear later that all these young boys were going across the border and getting trained the it was so easy for them to go across the border so you can imagine ke what indian state was like it was so easy for them to go across border that there were buses and there were um Uh, you know, bus conductors would say, जैसे नाम लेते हैं ना जगहों का लाजपत नगर बसंत नगर वहां पे दे वुड से बस कंडक्टर्स वुड से सोपोर हंदवोर अपोर विच मीन्स सोपोर विच इज सिटी इन विच इज अ प्लेस इन कश्मीर यू मस्ट हर्ड अबाउट इट एंड देन हंदवारा विच इज इन नॉर्थ कश्मीर एंड अदर सोपोर बॉर्डर सोपोर हंदवोर एंड अपोर दैट मीन्स उस पार so there were people actually in public discourse this was going on that buses were carrying you from the border from the kashmir's border they were carrying you to pok and they were going very easily so all this was going on in 1984 jagmohan comes in um, kashmir and we will talk about jagmohan in detail later because he is the most important person to understand and the most vilified person so i would really like to spend some time about you know jagmohan in a bit but he had already warned in his letters and in his communication as governor in jammu and kashmir he had already warned that something is not well there are he had he, because he probably had intelligence at that time and he had already warned rajiv gandhi that something is going on i don't know what it is but somebody needs to investigate because and i cannot investigate even though i am the governor because the entire machinery has collapsed even though um because remember we were going through a lot of turmoil farooq abdullah came in 1982 after his father died and then he was just his government was dismissed his brother in law um gulam mohammad shah who's commonly known as gulshah he came so there was a lot of turmoil in um, going on but if you were to say that terrorism began in 89 that's not true it had been building up with lot of uh, um, uh, you know things being said verbally to hindus which nobody takes into account but if you look at um, um, which i have been doing a lot i have been trying to understand what genocide really means so you will understand the first step of genocide really is othering the other person that's how it starts so othering had already started from a long time ago but even i remember that in 80s othering had already started it was already me us versus them and you are the enemies and um, somehow kashmir belongs to us had already started then in 1988 where does the violence start in 1988 there was a first massive blast in some, uh, telegraph office central telegraph office there was a first massive um, blast and um, at that time it was carried out by um, uh, jklf and not many it, i think it was july 31st and august 1st the night of that 
And many people who understand uh, Kashmir and who study it, they say that this was the start of armed resistance or, you know, this was the start of terrorism in Jammu and Kashmir. Um, the blast changed everything in Kashmir. Not for ordinary people. They were still not understanding what was going on. But in the um, uh, annals of power, in the corridors of power, now they had started to understand something is going on, although they were not willing to do anything at this point. Dozens of Kashmiri youth had already crossed the line of control and they had now, which I was telling you, they had now returned with bombs and bullets. Then a very interesting thing happened after this bomb blast had happened. There was sudden death of Pakistani president, Janazi Allah. Uh, this happened on August 17th, 1988. It, you'll be surprised to know, Kushal, that Pakistan, because I, I, I remember this very clearly, Pakistan remained peaceful. There was no curfew in Pakistan. But in Kashmir, of all the places, curfew was imposed. There were anti-India yeah, anti and anti-Russia protests were held in different parts of Srinagar for several days. Because they, they knew that present insurgency is was the brainchild of General Zia. So they were all out protesting. Remember, Pakistan remained um, calm. It was in Kashmir that curfew was imposed. Electricity nahi and, you know, for days we lost power, I remember. But that's what, um, that was, that happened in August of 88. Then in September uh, of 88, there was a, uh, another blast, uh, uh, you know, that shook the valley. It was, um, there was an attack actually on the house of DIG Kashmir, Ali Muhammad Batali, in a very posh neighborhood of Rajbagh. His um, uh, terrorists from JKLF, they attacked Batali's residence and in um, retaliatory action, I think one founder member of JKLF, um, Ajaz Dar, um, he was killed. And when he was killed, there was a recovery of automatic weapon from the encounter side. And this created ripples because nobody, there, no automatic weapons had been recovered from uh, the site at that point. So this is 1988. So we know all that was going on. Then Farooq Abdullah started releasing terrorists. Even before Rubaya's incident, he had released 70 dreaded terrorists who had been after these, you know, in uh, incidents, you know, they used to call them gunmen. People who used to be picked up by, um, um, you know, JNK police, he would release them and he would give the thing of JNK against a case. Nobody is, you know, making a case against them in the court. But who would make a case against them in the court? It's government's responsibility. He was not allowing any <coughs> any case. In fact, um, uh, I don't know if you know uh, the name. Then these names are very common to us. But um, Bita Karate and um, mm -hmm. Yasin Malik. Now all of you know. But there was another um, this thing. Remember, um, uh, Yasin Malik was called Gandhi of Kashmir by um, our friends in left liberal intelligence. Yeah, and this is after he had admitted to killing so many Hindus and even including IAF officers. <coughs> there was another <coughs> terrorist, Shabir Ahmed Shah. 
So he um, is, there's another judge actually, he's still alive. And he was called Mandela of Kashmir because he'd been put in jail for a while after that. And he'd been put in jail after a while. But when he was picked up in 1988, when he was picked up on the um, intelligence report, I think there was an IB report or CID report against him. And he was picked up. Nobody came to the um, court to uh, advocate general never came against the court to make a case against him from the state's side. Mm -hmm. So there was total capitulation of state even before Jammon had come or even before uh, Rubaya Sayyid came. Rubaya Sayyid incident happened. When Rubaya Sayyid's incident happened in September 8, 1989, that was complete capitulation of state and complete capitulation doesn't happen in a day. It had already been happening. It's just that people were not noticing. Remember in September of 1989, the most prominent Kashmiri Hindu leader, who was the head of um, uh, BJP state unit, Panditikal Haltaplu, was shot dead. After that, mm -hmm. just Tilkanganju was shot dead. So it was, th these things had already happened much before, um, uh, you know, uh, Rubaya Sayyid's kidnapping. And of course, after Rubaya Sayyid's kidnapping, there was complete mayhem and uh, um, uh, you know, the state capitulated, but it's wrong to say that it started somehow. There's a date. There is a, I, I cannot put a date to it. I know it was building up. There was no date that it started on. Remember there are, uh, now there are reports and I'm sure intelligence reports in India have these reports that on 26th January, 1990 terrorists backed by Pakistan, were supposed to declare independent Kashmir on 26th January 1990. That was the plan. So all this was happening towards that plan. That's why 19th January happened and that's why the uh, all these incidents happened because they were supposed to um, uh, declare an independent Kashmir on 20th. That was the date that had been assigned, 26th January 1990. Of course, things didn't pan out the way terrorists wanted. So that's that's to no. say that you know it started on a day or something. So let's club then two questions together because I think they are interrelated to many things you have mentioned now. So there is this thing why they say why is the Congress blamed when it was co a coalition government in power and this whole you know uh, thing about Jagmohanji being a BJP man and a Hindu extremist and unki se yes ye palayan hua. so let's club them together because they are interconnected uh, yeah. you know to what you've said so yeah. what what's the story there so we'll start with who jagmohan really was and why he is polarized and then i'll give you a timeline and in 30 seconds this whole thing can be uh, you know dismissed that this is such a um, idiotic claim that doesn't even stand um, any scrutiny at all Jagmohan was never a BJP man, really, as they say, or somebody who was, you know, close to BJP. He did not join BJP till 1995, and there are reasons why he did that. Jagmohan, even his worst critics, he was, um, I don't know if the lot of younger people who are on this podcast don't know, he was an IAS officer to begin with. He was a civil servant who had attracted a lot of attention because he was so efficient. He was a very upright officer, a very independent, upright officer who worked um, according to the law and he was not very amenable to what was going on. So he had acquired that reputation. During that time, he had, um, um, I think in 
uh, during emergency, he was very close to um, Indira Gandhi. That is a well-known fact that he himself says. Um, as a thing. Then he was put in charge of DDA, Delhi Development Authority. Wahabe, he was given the charge of beautifying Delhi under Sanjay Gandhi's program and all that. So he did a lot of slum demolitions around in 1977 or that time, in 76, 77. So, uh, one of those, he did a lot of demolitions. One of those demolitions was in Old Delhi, Turkman Gate. Wahhabi, there were a lot of Muslims there. And to the last time, minute, last minute of his life, Jagmohan acknowledged and kept saying that that demolition was needed and that uh, people who suffered, who lost their homes, were better off for it because they got better houses elsewhere. They were relocated, they were rehabilitated. But nobody looks at that point of view. That, Part of the thing. The whole thing was, even though he, a lot of, as DDHM and he, a lot of slums had been um, uh, destroyed, but the only thing of one, that Turkman Gate slum, because that's how our history is narrated, you know, that's how it is. They will talk about that. But why is Jagmohan really, and I've thought about it, what is it about Jagmohan, even though he was very close to um, uh, Indira Gandhi, then he was close to Sanjay Gandhi. Do people talk about these things? Have you heard that he was close to Sanjay Gandhi? Probably not. People don't know. So these things don't come out, but somehow he comes across as Hindu extremist. So why is he a Hindu extremist in the um, minds of left liberal intelligence yeah i will tell you because jagmohan was also a scholar and he was a writer a prolific writer and he has written anybody who's trying to understand kashmir should read my frozen turbulence in kashmir because otherwise you cannot even begin to understand what is going on in kashmir but besides that he was a prol prolific opinion writer he was a prolific um uh, you know uh, this is not the only book he has written he's written many books um uh, around that but even in his articles, in his uh, books, what you will talk see is, for now, it is very easy for you and me to talk about civilizational India. It is very easy for us to say that India does not begin in 1947. But remember what was going in 70s, 80s, and 90s. I mean, 70s, 80s, and 90s when he was active. You could not say that India is 5,000-year-old civilization. You could not, nobody wanted to, the Romila Thapas of the world didn't want to hear that. They wanted to believe that India came into existence in 1947. So here is a man who was saying, who was the first one, first prominent person to put across a theory, even when he was a Congress appointee. Remember, Indira Gandhi had sent him, he was governor of Kashmir twice, from 1984 to 89, and then for four months. In 19... 84, he had been earlier, he had been, he was Mrs. Gandhi's appointee. He was Mrs. Indira Gandhi's appointee to Kashmir. In fact, there's a um, um, interview by Jagmohan where he says that when Mrs. Gandhi called me, I thought I was being sent to Punjab because Punjab jal tha. And um, she told him, Are nahi, Punjab to I will handle. Uh, you go and look into Kashmir because that is burning. So she clearly knew that uh, Farooq Abdullah is doing some hanky-panky and she wanted his government to be dismissed or his government to be looked at, you know. So he was sent as her man, as Delhi's man, as Indira Gandhi's man to Delhi, uh, to um, Kashmir in 1984. So the, uh, but going back, we will come back to this timeline, but going back, why is he a Hindu extremist? He is a Hindu extremist because years before we were talking about Article 370, he had said, 
that why is this intelligentsia, liberal intelligentsia, spending so much time on saying Article 370 is a bridge to Kashmir? Article 370 is no bridge to Kashmir. It's an impediment, which I have also said in many um, words. What you, if you're looking for bridges from India to Kashmir, this is his words. If you're looking from bridges from India to Kashmir, why don't you walk into every temple? Why don't you walk into every road, street in Kashmir and you will find connections of India and Kashmir. You just have to look. Why are you looking at saying that uske bina to kuch hoi sakta? you know, why are you looking at um, um, instrument of accession and uh, this thing? Go beyond that and look at the cultural connect. Look at the connect that India has with um, uh, Kashmir. Why is a small temple on a hill in Kashmir called Shankaracharya Temple? Why? Clearly, there must be a connect there. Now, we of course know that um, Adi Guru had traveled to Kashmir and he had stayed in there. That's why it's called Shankaracharya. Uh, then he would also say that why is it that a child from his way, and which I often use in my statements, that why is it a child from Coimbatore who doesn't know nothing about Kashmir, but looks towards north and prays to Sharda Peet before he is starting his education? Why does he do that? So clearly there are connects. So he would say these things. He would say that... Um, instrument of accession chodo article 370 sojo think of other things that connect kashmir to india and this is a very old cultural connect 5000 year old cultural connect guess what this is what branded him as a uh, hindu extremist this is what also branded kashmiri pandit struggle as a right wing struggle even though left that is worried about minorities all over the world should have come to the uh, you know should have taken up this cause of kashmiri pandits they did not come to kashmir help kashmiri pandits for this simple reason because what were we saying we were saying because what that our connect with india is not something that is can be defined by article 373 of accession or 1947 or something it goes back thousands of years there is i mean i've said this thing there is no india without kashmir but there's no kashmir without india also you know it goes both ways so that is why our thing was not taken up by this entire liberal intelligence yeah because you know why why um, uh, talk about people too who are, inconvenient yeah why are we talking about india that existed before 1947 who is interested and because you're talking about that that means now you're a hindu majoritarian you're a hindu um extremist so we, we have nothing to do with you that's what happened and this is exactly what happened to jagmohan also jagmohan also was a tough administrator when in 1984 to 89 he had come i will tell you even muslims who were tired of farooq abdullah he was, he was called uh um, Farooq Disco, because he was always, now you see him as an old man, but um, ek, ek mein Farooq Abdullah was also young. So he was going around Kashmir with film actresses and, um, you know, taking them around pill, with pillion right and all that. You know, he was just interested in all those things. He had no interest in governance, zero. He was playing golf. I mean, when Kashmir was burning, he was playing golf. He had no interest in Kashmir whatsoever. So he, he, he did no governance. And then after him, when his government was dismissed, then Gulsha came. He was also not doing any governance or anything. So uh, governor had stepped up. And he had done some extremely good, you know, local level work. 
यू नो नलों में पानी आना शुरू हो गया था बिजली आनी शुरू हो गई थी सड़कें साफ होने लग गई थी यू नो दीज लोकल थिंग्स ही हैड स्टार्टेड डूइंग व्हिच वाज मेकिंग एवरीबॉडीज लाइफ बेटर इंक्लूडिंग मुस्लिम्स सो फ्रॉम 1984 टू 89 इफ यू आस्क एनी मुस्लिम यू विल फाइंड आउट आई मीन एनीबॉडी हु इज इंटेलेक्चुअली ऑनेस्ट दे विल टेल यू दे हैड नथिंग अगेंस्ट हिम he in from 1984 to 89 he had done nothing that we can be called anti muslim what he was branded as later nothing at all whatever he was doing it was for the betterment of everyone he had not he had not done in governance he had not uh, done any discrimination zero discrimination and this even his critics will um, admit so he was very popular governor actually in 1989 before he resigned he was very popular so but although he was writing and talking about how article 370 is an impediment and all that but on ground level he had done lot of good work in 1989 jagmohan uh, his term and he resigns what is interesting is that he has said this and no congress person has refuted this and i wish he would remember he had already been talking about 370 he had already the reputation that he had in 1989 um it's on record he has said it himself that rajiv gandhi wanted him to fight south delhi lok sabha seat after his first stint so he clearly had nothing no issues with him then he knew that he was um, uh, you know the, the family had known him for a long time congress party had known him for a long time but by that time jagmohan had given up on the politics of congress politics and he says it in as many words he said he was disgusted with how congress said how rajiv gandhi was running the country so he refused it must also be brought to everybody's notice that in jagmohan received his padma shri in 1971 then padma bhushan in 1977 तब बीजेपी कहीं आसपास भी नहीं थी बीजेपी वाज फॉर्म्ड ओनली इन 1980 सो बिकॉज़ ही वाज ही वाज ऑलरेडी अ वेरी वेल नोन पर्सनालिटी यू नो इन दैट सेंस सो इन 1989 व्हाट हैपेंस इज जगमोहन इज एट द बिहेस्ट ऑफ राजीव गांधी इज ऑलरेडी गॉन नाउ ही हैज लॉस्ट मैंडेट एंड दिस इज डिसेंबर 1989 एंड आई हैव बीन we've been talking about i think 2nd december 1989 i i will look at the dates again but i think it was 2nd december 1989 when bp singh government came 8th december rubaiya sayed happened and i have already explained to you that by 1989 how everything had blown out of proportion now tell me how is it that a, a you know a week long government can be blamed for what has happened in kashmir even though i have no love lost for vp singh and that entire era of politicians and all those but he really cannot be blamed for it because he barely had you know um, come in power it was the entire thing had been destroyed the legacy of present kashmir crisis is legacy of rajiv gandhi's failure but what um, he did was as soon as he came kashmir had already been blowing up on his home minister was mufti mohammad said i don't know how kushal it still gives me goosebumps that how can mufti mohammad said ever i mean home minister of india i mean the man who was known to be he was known as butcher of anantnag and i will talk to you about anantnag riot i mean not riots but anantnag 
program and that was the dress rehearsal for uh, what happened in 1990 but he was the architect was butcher architect of that he was, was a, and his association with separatists and jamaatis and all that had already been known for a man like that to be in home ministry it gives still gives me goosebumps and sometimes i think it's a miracle that we survived that time i really think it's a miracle that we survived that era we we would have been completely maybe i i think i made a mistake i should have asked you this question to fir what is this whole thing about farooq abdullah to quit right before the exodus why should he be blamed uska kya hai ha so i will tell you farooq abdullah ne so i'm coming to now when bp singh government um, um comes in i know it from very reliable sources that it was mufti mohammed saeed and not bjp even though bjp was supporting that government remember go back to your thing bp singh government existed only because bjp was giving outside support but it was vp it was mufti mohammed saeed who wanted jagmohan in kashmir now this seems counterintuitive why because it was his personal interest and why was it personal interest everybody who knows kashmir will tell you that muftis and abdullahs they they go much beyond political rivalry they hate each other don't go by all this that um, um gupkar alliance and all that you saw after article 370 wo to fir you know they they didn't have a option you know they they all are fighting marta kya na karta wali halat ho gayi marta kya na karta but for years and years and years muftis and abdullahs have fought a personal battle a personal fight that goes much beyond political rivalry and mufti mohammed said was an all congressman first and then all that and then he started his pdp to unki political rivalry bahut zyada thi he knew that um uh, jagmohan had dismissed first um, um government of farooq abdullah and he knew that farooq abdullah doesn't like jagmohan so he was thinking that with jagmohan in power he would be able to you know he will have a, he will get back to farooq abdullah in some way or he dismissed the government again ye mansha thi this is what home minister mufti mohammed said was thinking before um jagmohan was said of course jagmohan was nobody's man he was an independent person he was not you can see in his letters and his communications and everybody he was not going to do anybody's bidding but this was the reason he was said bjp has nothing to do with it and i'm not saying this for you know i can prove it they had nothing to do with it even though they were supporting the government from outside it was his personal vendetta when it is known when it becomes public that government is sending union government is sending faru um, jagmohan to this thing farooq abdullah knows now he is not able to work with um, jagmohan even though jagmohan in his one of his interviews he says very clearly he says i don't know what happened to farooq abdullah later but before those elections 87 elections he used to often go around saying that if jagmohan stands for an election in srinagar he will win because he was that popular and later of course along with that rajiv farooq accord that had been built and he had been scheming along with um, rajiv gandhi and they had decided that they would burn kashmir i mean there was no other way 
um, he had been sending um, all the communication was going to Rajiv Gandhi as prime minister and he was doing nothing because he did not want to. He always said um, Farooq is my friend and uh, he had full faith in him while he was burning Kashmir. So all that had happened. When Jagmohan was sent again, which was on, uh, you know, I think it was 18th of January, 1990. As soon as Farooq Abdullah heard, he, this is when it was announced, as soon as Farooq Abdullah heard, he resigned. The man did not even wait to transfer power because how does it happen? You know, when you are resigned as a chief minister, you can't just run away. You have to be a caretaker chief minister till somebody comes and, you know, you do a power um, sharing or something. Nothing. He actually got up and fled. He fled. He knew what Kashmir's situation was. That's why I say Farooq Abdullah should be tried in a criminal court and I will stand and give evidence against him because I'll testify against him because he actually fled. Can a man who has been constitutional, uh, you know, who's been a constitutional force just run away like that? How does it happen? He ran away. For three days, there was no government in Kashmir. When that mayhem of 19th January, which everyone now knows very well, when that happens, there was absolutely no government in Kashmir. On 19th January, Jagmohan had reached Jammu. He was in Raj Bhavan. He was stuck in Raj Bhavan. He had not yet reached the valley. Remember, there was no social media. There was no communication like this. We're talking about 1990. There were no, even phones were far in between. So this is not a society that, you know, where there are WhatsApps and phones and you can mobilize a crowd in a day. There was no such, nothing like that existed. He was stuck in Raj Bhavan. He has written in his book, and there are um, uh, eyewitnesses alive who say this, that when on 19th January, all mosques started blaring, you know, that um, all the slogans that we have heard that we need Kashmir with Kashmiri women without their men, hum kya chahte azadi, uh, um, la ilaha illallah, you know, all these Islamic slogans that started coming out and uh, mujahido bahar ao and come and fight this jihad. Lot of, um, uh, you know, Kashmiri Hindus, they called Jagmohan. They even made some calls to Sakhlop in Delhi. Jagmohan at that point in the middle of the night couldn't do anything. He had not even taken over officially. So there was nothing he could do at that point. And 19th January is when, even though uh, selective killings of prominent Kashmiri Hindus had already begun, but ordinary Kashmiri Hindu, like my family, we thought, hum to hai because they are probably killing only the prominent ones who have you know, they're sending a message to government of India, but who are we? We are just ordinary people. We probably will be safe. We were not seeing the pattern. We were not seeing the pattern of um, Anantna that had happened in 1986, that we were not seeing the pattern of selective killings. It's only later that we've been able to put two and two together. And now we understand how genocide works and how things work. All this had been put together. That night, Kafiro, Zalimo, Bahar, Niklo, and these things that I've heard with my own ears. I mean, I, I, I find it even now in Kashmir, you will find people who don't um, who don't accept it. They say, Aisa kuch hua hi nahi tha, but I've heard it 
with my own ears and I know what was going on. There were Muslim women who were on the, I don't think Vivek's film, I, I mean, I always say that Vivek's film only shows 1% of what had happened because it's impossible to show everything. I mean, then he would, it would be a, a series of 20 hours. Even in three hours, he has shown so much. Uh, but that too, he has toned it down, na, Nanda. You, he you has remember the last... down. The, yeah. allegation, the allegation against Vivek should be that he has toned down. Yes, exactly. Era. By the way, I've just recorded a podcast with Vivek, which will be coming out. I talk about this and everybody should listen to Vivek's take on it. He's like, I can't see how it's barbaric. Yeah, it has, the allegation against him should be that he has toned it down. Because even Girija Tikku, you must have seen this thing. She was gang raped. You only see her shaming and, you know, that scene. You don't see gang rape. You don't, you're not even, you know, that's not even implied. It's, of course, implied that, um, um, you know, what was done to her. But you don't see all that. So you don't see what happened to scores of other women, you know, what was going on with them. Because he is, that's what I said, the allegation against Vivek should be that he hasn't shown everything. The other way around. He hasn't shown it. I mean, it's dark humor sa lagta hai abhi aisi baat bhi karna but really so on that night um women from mosques muslim women from mosques went on um uh, these uh, loudspeakers and they were telling their men that this is the time for you to fight jihad now this is the time for you to exterminate everyone who is an impediment to the jihad all these zalims and all these kafirs need to go out. And I've often said the story, my personal story, it's out in public domain of what happened and how I was stuck in my grandfather's house and what all happened. But this is the first time, you know, these left liberal intelligentsia will always say that Kashmir is a fight for self-determination. And JKLF, Jammu Kashmir Liberation Front, which was at the forefront those days, which was the main indigenous, you know, it was formed, uh, Yasin Malik and um, all these people, um, um, uh, Bita Karate, they were all Indian, I mean, they were all Kashmiris. So it was an indigenous struggle. They will always say that they won't acknowledge that they were, they had all been trained by Pakistan. But it was never, not for a day, was it any secular war for self determination. Because if it was a secular war for self determination, why would you go to uh, mosques and scream, Kafiro Zalimo Bahar Niklo, leave your women folk behind and leave Kashmir. You are, you know, all those, all these slogans that were said that I cannot even say now without getting PTSD. So all this was being said from mosques were used all across Kashmir, not in one place. All across Kashmir. If this is not planned, I don't know what is not. You know, it's only later when I am, I keep telling you that now I'm studying how genocide works. It's only now I'm realizing when I'm putting these things together that how organization is one of the main foundations of um, genocide, how the organization is done. How is it possible that an entire Kashmir state in an era when there were no WhatsApps, no phones, no social media, no way to communicate, ordinary people didn't even have phones, that all mosques will blare it together at one point, at 10 o'clock, everything started. And all night, everywhere, north, south, east, west, they were saying the same slogans from everywhere. They wanted us to be finished that day. Now, I want to, and I apologize to you for asking this question, uh, but I have to do the dirty work. That's my job. 
so before people get mad at me uh, try and understand i don't ask these questions because i get some sadistic pleasure out of it i ask these questions is i never plan a podcast this is the first time i actually reached out to sunanda and told her kya kya discuss karna hai sunanda sab kar lete hain kyunki i am sick and tired of what i hear online and and you know sunanda was like theek hai chal sab karenge so i'm sorry in advance i am asking this question so there is this trope that oh ye sab kashmiri jo hindu the wo cowards the they were fought back, fought back and they ran to greener pastures ye ek point hai fir dusra bolte hain ki if there was a genocide why were the kashmiri hindus silent you know and the numbers don't show it official numbers indicate only less than 300 kashmiri hindus are killed i again apologize for asking this question but now i give it to you sunanda very good questions very good questions i'm glad we are discussing this because this is the platform where we should discuss this threadbare ye bahut bahut aata hai ki aap log lade kyun nahi aap log wahan pe khade kyun nahi hue you also have to understand let me give you a bit of statistic you know it 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 gives me as i said it gives me ptsd all over again this is our seventh exodus please understand and in we have we have documented history of these seven exoduses what does this seven exodus these seven exoduses happened in 700 years that means every 100 year we've had an kashmiri hindus have witnessed an exodus what does that mean try to understand this question that means every third generation has of kashmiri hindus has seen an exodus in last 700 every third generation Is there any community in the world that has seen this? History of Kashmiri Hindus and people always say eighty nine ki baat karo, ninety ki baat karo, ye karo. But how can we forget our history of last seven hundred years? We have passed it on from generation to generation to generation. This is not our first um, exodus. So that is why I say this is not a continuous genocide. It's a continual genocide. that has been happening in last 700 years please understand how does a population from 100% go to 2% are there any questions about it i mean are there any answers no population goes from no group goes from 100% to 2% like that so last 700 years have been this has been our history I don't think even Jews can compare that every third generation has seen an exodus, a mass exodus. Every third generation we've been displaced. Every third generation we have seen so much violence. So <coughs> why did we not fight back? Because a we were just two percent of the population. B I have already explained to you that how automatic. Guns, how Kalashnikovs and AK-47s had already come in. My grandfather, when he stood to save us, because he didn't understand, he was a seventy-year-old man who had not hit a fly in his life. What did he have? He had two kitchen knives and a rusted axe that he got from somewhere from his axe. Other people had kerosene bottles. They were ready to kill themselves with those kerosene. Those modern-day Johar. people were people will tell you that we used to sleep with kerosene bottles and a uh, matchbox so this is what we had the other side had kalashnikovs and ak47s they had entire uh, state support they had entire kashmir state support complete 
There was complete apathy from union government. Union government was not even aware of what is happening. General population was not even aware of what was happening. I mean, you would not have heard um, uh, this in 1988, 89. Where were our allies? Who was going to fight with us? This is a generation before even a private television had started. ZTV bhi nahi tha. There was only Doordarshan. How are we going to communicate to the rest of the India that this is what is happening to us? Come to our aid. There was, there was newspapers were not covering, reporters were not covering. You know, when you see that scene in Vivek's film, that when he says, um, uh, reporters, when um, Anupam Kher's character tells the reporter, Ki tum kar rahe ho na, tum report kar rahe ho na, because you are our only hope. That is because everyone had stopped talking about Kashmiri Hindus. They were, they were talking about, don't, don't get me wrong, they were talking about Kashmir because terrorism to chal raha tha Kashmir mein, but they would only talk about terrorism from the prism of the terrorism. But what was happening to this minority, it was not talked about. You see, fifth page Times of India mein aata tha ki, achha, aaj ye nikal gaye, now they are sitting in the... Um, um, uh, you know, camp, migrant camp somewhere. We were called migrants. You know, the amount of um, uh, apathy and the amount of disc is, you know, it has been um, humiliation that has been inflicted till this date in um, uh, public, I mean, uh, official records, we are called migrants. Migrants are someone, migratory birds who go on their own will, right? Migratory migrants are someone who move on their own will. So why would we be called migrants in Kashmiri? We fought against it. Forget about anything else. Um, uh, you know, our war started or, or our fight started with just this word ki nomenclature ye change kar do. Migrants mat bulao humko. But anyway, that is, I, I digress. So why did we not fight? Because we couldn't. We would have all been dead. And today I would not have been here to talk to you. And I'm so glad that my elders or the generation before us took the decision to run away and to hold on to whatever the shirt in the back because even staying alive is a form of resistance the fact that i am talking to you today the fact that my parents raised me and outside of kashmir and made me aware of this story is their resistance this was our resistance. Sometimes it's not very honorable to go and die in the battlefield and then no one is ready to tell your um, story. We could have easily done that. We could have all been dead because the amount, number of guns that were there and they were everywhere. We would all have been dead and there would have been no one to tell the story. You, Kushal Mehra, would not have been doing this show because you would have you would have not have even known that there were people in Kashmir. So our resistance was staying alive. Our bravery was staying alive. Our bravery was chronicling everything with, with no support from anyone. No media was giving us support. Nobody was even ready to publish a, a, two lines of our story. But what were we doing? We were still chronicling, self-publishing. When internet came, then doing, chronicling all these stories. How is it that Vivek made this film today? Because a lot of activists had already chronicled this story. And every, every victim that we know um, till now, I'm sure there are many, many more, they have been, they've been documented. They've been, it's been chronicled. And this is not an official record. This is what we have done on our own. But at least we live to tell the story. So I do not buy this argument. I, I hear it a lot that you were cowards. You did not fight back. We couldn't have fought back. 
we couldn't have we did not have the numbers we did not have the allies we did not have anyone who we could bring on and all we had in the name of weapons were knives and uh, rusted axes we couldn't have fought with we couldn't have fought kalashnikovs and ak-47s with that so that is one allegation that i um completed in second that this is just uh, i think in official records they have done it's about 207 people or 270 odd people that have uh, that they say not only this sunanda wo ye bhi bolte na, because no one was punished there is no genocide ah, no punish to hua nahi case banai nahi to punish kaise hoga koi bhi there is still no one uh, in this thing you know jagmohan when he had gone there he had only gone for four months in the second term he had already started courts those high track fast track courts and he said you know all these people who are getting killed all these hindus and everybody was getting killed in terrorism let's have these fast track courts those fast track courts were completely abolished after he left in um, after four months after that nothing of that sort has been happening till now and these are prominent people that you hear yasin malik and bita karate but there were thousands like them thousands like them who who still need to face the law of the land there is no no case against anybody and also who is going to unearth the conspiracy that happened in 1989-90 that led to our exodus because there was a conspiracy the conspiracy with the ordinary people and with the ordinary um, uh, population the majority population was that we are going to liberate Kashmir by 26 January 1990. You will support us. And they did. They supported terrorists against us. And that's how this happened. Who is going to talk about this um, conspiracy? If BK Ganju, that one scene that you see, and I have talked about it in so many, that his neighbor, um, uh, you know, batted on him. There are thousands of other instances. There are thousands of other instances hmm. was also the same thing because these people Nadimark was actually done by LED um, things they were um, they had come from outside but how were the houses identified local people had identified the houses Vandhama massacre Sangrampura massacre every massacre it was the local peoples who were identified I'll tell you very clearly what happens Guns are taken by minority. Guns are taken up by minority. There is never an instance where the entire population takes up guns. It's very rare. Whenever terrorism happens at some place, it's only 300 people, 400 people, 500 people who take up guns. How do they become successful? State will always be successful against terrorism if they want to be. How will, how will any, how does any terrorism, any movement, any terrorism become successful in a place is when local people support them. Terrorism in Kashmir, the peak terrorism, I think there were about, at, at its peak, there were about 500, 600 terrorists in Kashmir who had real AK-47s and who had ammunition and everything. Real um, people who were identified with this thing, area commanders and commanders, I think 500, 600, 700 people. How does, how is it possible that 700 people can create this kind of fear and terror that, that aboriginals of a place who have lived there for 5,000 years will run away in one night? It will only happen when the local people have colluded with them. And why were the local people colluding? Because they were told Azadi is around the corner. 
Azadi is happening on 26 January 1990. Help us, help us get these kafirs out and then Kashmir is free. This conspiracy has to be unearthed. This has to be told out. This has to be told so that it never happens again. It should never happen again towards any group. So when, the, when your neighbors have risen against you, there is no way you can sit and fight. You, there is no way. So to say that we were, you know, we were cowards or numbers, it's all, it's, it's, it's victim shaming, really. At this point, it is victim shaming. It is that you are being told to, um, victims are being made responsible for this. Another thing, numbers. I agree with you. It's, it's, it's very disturbing. In fact, I'll, I'll, I'll go the whole hog here. And these are my views, not Sunanda's. I think this is not going to end till not just um, the Kashmiri Hindus. Everybody yeah. else starts going to Kashmir and just living like normal people in India. This whole trope, you know, there is something unique. Wahan pe, you know, I, it disturbs me when people from Kashmir start saying things like, demography change ho jayegi. To kya problem hai? Ye problem hai. मतलब डेमोग्राफी तो चेंज करनी ही पड़ेगी क्योंकि भाई नॉर्मल करना है उस जगह को उनसे तो नॉर्मल हरकतें हो नहीं रही हैं उधर तो मेरे को नहीं आता और किसी तरीके से बोलना मैं तो सीधा बोलता हूँ कि भाई ये and she had once, um, uh, you know, our families sort of knew each other then. And um, I got in touch with her through Facebook many years ago. And she told me, she said, Hindu boys and girls were raised like us in the same environment. And she was putting an allegation against me that we were we were facing the same governments. We had the same access to resources. We were, you know, we were seeing the same side of the government, same face of the government, all of us. Then why is it that you grow up to love India and I grow up to hate India and treat it as my enemy? I said, that's a fantastic question. Yeah. I'm glad you asked me that question because they also ask these questions about they don't have people to answer. I said, the reason that I am raised to love my country and you are raised to hate the country and I can get into trouble for saying that, but the real reason for that is our faiths. Islam teaches you that you cannot be, you know, there is this Hindu kafir who is an impediment to Islamization of the state. And therefore, you hate me and you hate India. Because you are, your love for Kashmir is less than your love for Islam. This is a fact. That is why things have turned out the way it ha they have. And that is what I say when I, uh, I was on, I think, Times Now or other, uh, some channel, and they were saying that, um, uh, you know, um, 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 uh, Congress in Manmohan Singh's time, they were appeasing them and all that. And so, you know, you have to go beyond these. Yes, there was a photo op, and yes, there was a thing, and it's, it's, it's abominable that there was, but go beyond this. Look at what the mindset of people at that time was and try to understand. Source code. They kept thinking that, you know, somehow 
is people who are motivated by islamist mindset they will make peace with india they will make peace with the idea of india it's not going to happen it is never going to happen these are two different ideologies and they can only clash and collide they will never ever learn to be together so there they unless there is some huge change or renaissance and people start thinking about it but i just gave you that example of that muslim girl who told me this and she said why why is it that i am you know i i i just had that inherent hatred for india and you didn't i have no answer for this you know, uh, the uh, coming back to your question that only 400 300 200 people died and everything first of all when something is called a genocide it's really not about the numbers it is a mistake that people think it is about numbers uh, if you look at 10 stages of genocide that were done by uh, gregory stanton who is the founding president of genocide watch even though he has not recognized um, kp um, genocide kashmiri hindu genocide now but he had given 10 stages he had said classification symbolization classification is then dividing between them and us then symbols you are um, you know i gave you that example of bindi pehante the to usse bhi dar lagta tha we were afraid of going to our temples then there was discrimination which was anybody will tell you that there was absolute discrimination on the ground this dehumanization even in the movie you must have seen how those little i don't know if you caught those nuances but there was this you know how they used to tease people and dehumanize them you know uh, it was very common to identify us with the food we ate say you know dal khate hain to ye dalay batae you know things like that dehumanize you then there is organization it's always organized oh there were food related slurs too oh very common dalay batae is a very common we've grown up with it hum logon ko to kehte the dalay bata but that means um, even today they say what do kashmir today they tell you which means that these people eat dal and therefore they are cowards and they are you know they dehumanize you like that so ye to bahut mujhe galiyan nahi nikalni hai main abhi ko jawab dunga matlab aaj tak nahi badla hai it's only now that i am trying to understand that there's a pattern of genocide to this why did we not understand it all these years and why is indian government not trying to understand we should try to understand there are there have been studies done that will tell you that this was done so then there is um there is dehumanization then there is organization as i told you in anantrag mein kya hua and all these mosques together that is organization they were um, you know getting uh, trained uh, in pok that is organization then polarization of course polarization was at, at its peak them and us then preparation then persecution then extermination and then denial the last stage is denial this is also that is why this is a continual genocide it's continuing till now because there is a denial as long as a denial of genocide happen ha- as long as the denial is happening the genocide is also happening you know you, do you get my point as long as the denial is happening the genocide hasn't happened hasn't ended the genocide will only end when you accept it when you understand what was going and you refuse to um sort of negate it as long as you are denying it genocide hasn't ended 
That yep. is why to this day, this genocide is happening. This is a continual genocide. That is why to this date they will tell you, and I am not denying that patriotic Muslims died. Patriotic Muslims, of course, died. They died because they believed in the idea of um, um, India. They they died because they were fighting for India. Then, but did anyone? So did any of them go through the ten stages of genocide that I told you? And any Kashmiri Muslim who died and who was killed at the hands of terrorists was even one of them. Was even one of them killed by a Kashmiri Hindu? I would like to see one example. In our 700 years, 700 years, and Kashmir has a has a very good history of recorded history. Is there any instance where in last 700 years a Kashmiri Hindu has even harmed a Kashmiri Muslim? I would like to know. In fact, yeah. so, uh, Vivek was saying the other day, he said, uh, in some um, interview, I heard him saying, he said, I when they were fighting. And then I said, I was looking for a hate speech. I was hoping that there is some hate speech somewhere. There's not even a hate speech. Forget about physical harm. There is not even hate speech that has been recorded in all these years. When we still talk, we are only talking about justice. We are only talking about realizing what has happened to us and realizing that Kashmir is a civilizational battle. It is not something that has started in 1987 or 89 or anything. Try to understand if you really want a long-term solution for Kashmir, you have to really understand the 700-year history. And you cannot say Kashmir yeah. starts from here. Uh, the numbers, I quickly end to the, uh, come to that. The numbers, I know a gentleman, um, uh, you know, who was telling me the other day that he has 400 names of people on his Facebook list. These are 400 that he knows. He personally knows or he knows about some, through someone, first or second hand information that only he has put together. This is one individual, 400 even now, so when there was no investigation, when there was no um, um, SIT done, when there was no commission done, when there was nothing done, where are these numbers coming from? I reject all these numbers. Uh, that is why I have been saying an SIT should be instituted. There are, there are three or four parallel things that need to happen. First, an SIT needs to be instituted because even now, after I did my um, deposition in US Congress, there were so many people who called me and said, Aapne inka naam liya, inka naam liya. Aapne hamara nahi bola. Hamare saath bhi aisa hua hai. Ye kis kahin pe recorded nahi hai. And I told them, I only have seven minutes. I'm so sorry. But there are people who told me that there were, Mere bhai ko kidnap kiya, phir wo kabhi mila hi nahi. Mere father ko kidnap kiya, phir wo kabhi mila hi nahi. Meri sister ko kidnap kiya, phir wo kabhi mili hi nahi. There are so many such cases. If you look at um, uh, Twitter even today, even after this movie has been released, they will tell you, there are people who are coming up now because now there is um, social media, right? So they will come up and they will tell you that hamare saath bhi aisa hua hai. Even just three days ago there was somebody who was telling me uh, i was tagged to something and they said can you please record the names my father and brother were killed this is happening today in 2022 we have no idea of how many people were killed we have no idea of how many people these are prominent people and even kashmir files talks about five incidents really because how much can you talk about in three years 
quality of life that they, they have led because they were at the front lines hamari generation to front lines pe thi nahi it's only we came later the, it was my parents generation that became uh, that was sandwiched between their parents and their children they were at the front lines they were fighting this battle they are getting old and their memories are getting weak it's important that we get their depositions formal depositions now it's only then that we can actually talk about what happened and uske baad kuch steps ho sakte hain true i i last two question aur fir hum log viewers ke question lenge sunanda so ye bada vichitra hai ye matlab it is ironical also that i'm asking this ki ek bolte hain ki kashmiri hindus don't want to go back they don't want to reverse the genocide because there was no genocide theek hai ek to ye ho gaya दूसरा तरफ से दे अक्यूज दूसरा thrown out of their uh, home of 5000 years and they have stood up on their feet in 30 in short time of 30 years without any state support without any reservations without any anything they have stood on their feet and they become successful a lot of them so you people look at people like me and i'm i'm because of my work i'm here in texas और दे लुक एट समीपल हु अच्छे कपड़े पहनते हैं अच्छी नौकरी होगी इनकी अच्छा ये है सो दे डोंपल अंडर एस्टिमेट द पावर ऑफ होम एंड होम वी डोंट है होम हाउसेज बहुत जगह हर जगह गए हुए हैं बट why is this more important also that why we need to go back is even though we can be working anywhere the problem is we have a very unique culture kashmiri hindu culture is a very unique culture in its own way and any culture that is not allowed 
to uh, sort of live in its own environment, it dies. We have kept it alive for so many years. We have kept it alive for 300 years. I mean, 30 years and overall we have kept it alive. Wherever we are, we have kept it alive. But unless we have a home to go back, this entire Kashmiri Hindu culture will die. This whole uh, thought, school of thought will die because Kashmiri Hindus have also given, um, you know, um, a school of Hinduism, Shaivite Hinduism, and jo, uh, unka hai, um, uh, you know, that, that, that all will die. It, it needs to blossom in its own land. That's one. Then don't go by, and a more crude answer to this is, don't go by what you see me or other people. There are thousands languishing in the camps in Jammu even today who are working on a pittance. Because these were people who got left through the vagaries of fate. And they they had land there and they had so much, you know, everything, you know, they had immovable properties. I mean, education and all this stuff. They are working on very small, you know, salaries and they put they somehow stood, you know, stood up on their feet they would like to go back. They would be the first people to go back. People in Jagdi camp and Muthi camp and all these people, they would like to go back. They live in one-room tenements. They live in tin ka roof hai, 47 degree mein. That's where they live. They would like to go back. There is one survivor of uh, Bandhama massacre, you know, um, and I have known him through sources. He would like to go back. There are so many people who, my mother would like to go back. She often tells me, my grandmother died saying that, um, and I've written a story about this, you know, uh, how she used to say that Jammu ka paani thanda nahi hota, fridge ka paani thanda nahi hota, thanda sarf Kashmir ka paani hota hai. And, uh, you know, this is the generation that died because they wanted to drink water, apne ghar ka. they've already done, died. Now it is my parents' generation. They want to go back. So don't sort of dehumanize us by saying, Ke tum log, um, what option did we have? Were we just going to live on the streets? We had to educate ourselves. We had to stand on our feet. We had to sort of get our lives back together. Now don't penalize us for this and say that because you have developed lives outside of Kashmir, why will you go back? That is also wrong. Just because we don't, you know, sort of... Um, um, we're not begging, running, moving around with a begging bowl and we, we, we have a life which we had to do because how else do, I mean, look at it, think how else do humans survive? We have to survive. So now to penalize us for this and say that we won't go back is, is I think it's dehumanizing. All of us are ready to go back. All of us are ready to have our roots there. And even if we have to, you know, people from Punjab go everywhere to work, but they go back home, right? So, or people from um, um, anywhere, Himachal or Rajasthan or everywhere, you go where your job takes you, but then you go back home. So we would like to have that option. And another, um, uh, the last thing was that you said, this was done, 370 was um, abrogated because they wanted to appease Hindus in um, um, general and I think um, Kashmiri Pandits in uh, particular. This is again another lie. Abrogation of Article 370 
is a security decision before it is anything else. Hmm. Article 370 had ensured that even though India had rejected two nation theory in Kashmir, we were accepting three nation, two nation theory. We were saying that any state, what was Article 370? We were saying in very uh, layman's language, it was, uh, it said that any um, uh, state in India or any region in India that has a Muslim majority will need some special clutches or special legislation and it cannot be part of um, India. If that mm -hmm. isn't two nation theory, then what is? We had denied two nation theory and then we uh, had a, a two nation theory blossoming in um, Kashmir. Because of that, residents of Kashmir till this day, till three, Article 3, uh, August 5th, 19, uh, uh, 2019, they were not full citizens of India. They were not part of any, they, they, were, they, they could not get benefits of the same progressive legislation that India had seen over these years, because none of that was applicable in Kashmir. And more than that, it made Kashmir a disputed territory for some reason, because Article 370, so it made it a disputed territory for some reason. All that has gone now. It needed to mm -hmm. be done. It was important for security reasons to do. And there are a lot of things, and I have written about this. People who are interested, they can look up um, this thing. I can give, send you my articles also. And I have detailed why it was important for Article 370 to go and to say that it was done for appeasement of Hindus or it was done for appeasement of um, Kashmiri Hindus is KPs is nonsense. If anybody thinks of sovereignty of India, then to think that Article 370 should have existed along with it, they are undermining the sovereignty of India. India could not have stayed a sovereign nation with Article so what 370. What I'll do, what I'll do is uh, I will put the link of your muckrack account and okay. I will put the muckrack in the description so everybody yeah, can, everybody you know, muckrack, yeah. every, then, then all the articles are available uh, through the muckrack link. So we'll do that. Now we'll quickly take uh, audience questions. So yeah. I'll mix, uh, no, I'll ask this separately and we'll give quick answers because there are three, four. So is okay. Panun Kashmir possible or ideal? Uh, Panun Kashmir, for those who don't know, is an organization. Uh, and it is also an idea where they say that, um, you know, a separate homeland should be carved for Kashmiri Hindus now. They deserve it because as victims of genocide, in uh, Singapore, and as people who have seen seven exoduses in 700 years now, it is important that they have, they deserve a homeland of their own. I personally think that this is, a, this is an idea that Indian government should seriously think about. And this is, Panun Kashmir has given, you, you can go to on their website, they have given a total thing, how they intend on, this is not an idea that has come out of um, nothing. They have said that they want a union territory status and they want full constitution running, you know, um, in uh, Kashmir. And this is a place where Hindus can finally, Kashmiri Hindus can finally call their own. I think this is a very serious idea. And when it 
you know, when rehabilitation of Kashmiri Hindus is talked about, the idea of Panun Kashmir should be taken very seriously by the government because I take it very seriously. I think there is a lot of merit to this idea. And I don't agree with um, creating, um, uh, you know, um, uh, settlements in between, or I don't create new things, give them a separate uh, union territory. It may be, uh, you know, you've already uh, divided Kashmir and um, Jammu, I mean, Kashmir and Jammu, in, uh, this area. you've reorganized the state, maybe one more reorganization. It is an idea um, that I would, I would like to, I would like to debate this idea more. I would like to see what government of India says about this, but it is definitely an idea that should be considered. All right. The viewer has asked this again. I, I think there is, uh, we have to take this in the spirit that people actually genuinely don't know. I mean, I, I'll, I'll, so I'll ask this question and then I'll answer a little bit myself and then I'll give it to Sunanda. So someone has asked, in 32 years, there are not even 5,000 Kashmiri Hindus who are vocal like you, Sunanda. Why didn't Kashmiri Hindus wage a relentless awareness campaign like the Jews? Now, just before Sunanda answers this, let me answer this too. So there is a book called Kashmiri Documentation. I got hold of this book because Aditya Raj call. There was a Kashmiri book festival, right? Kashmiri Hindus had organized a book festival in Mumbai. I clearly remember Aditya giving me this book, very specific book called Kashmiri Documentation that documents as many atrocities they could in that book. I have a hard copy of that. I also know that the same book right now is available on the website of Panun Kashmir in a PDF format. So my what I'm trying to say is, Bhaiya, there are a lot of things that have been done. Uh, Sunanda, in fact, just when we started the podcast before that, Sunanda was telling me there are so many documentaries also that have been done by Kashmiri Hindus. So it's not like it's not been done. ये क्या होता है अभी इसको साइकोलॉजी में रिसेंसी वायस बोलते हैं क्योंकि अभी आप कश्मीर फाइल्स का हो रहा है एंड एंड आल्सो आई आई जेन्युइनली बिलीव दिस कश्मीरी कश्मीर फाइल्स द मूवी हैज बिकम अ ग्रीवेंस रिड्रेसल नॉट जस्ट फॉर कश्मीरी हिंदूस इट्स बिकम फॉर ऑल हिंदूस बिकॉज़ इस्लामो फैशिज्म हैज अफेक्टेड ऑल ऑफ इंडिया so yeah. try and understand i'm not trying to reduce what the pain of kashmiri hindus here what i'm trying to say is we are all in it together it just became a way to express now i give it to you spanda yeah no i don't there's a difference between why have you not spoken and why have you not been heard i don't have an answer for why we have not been heard but i do have an answer for why you have not why you have not spoken and i reject this charge we have spoken we have spoken right from the time we were thrown out. We have been consistent about it. The fact that we are talking about Girija Tikku's case and BK Ganju's case and we are talking about Babli Rana and all these things that you don't even know, but if you go on the websites, you will see all these cases that you have known is because somebody has documented them. Somebody has put it together. No government did it. We did it on our own. There are activists and there are people who have done it on their own. We have used every platform to speak. Let me just give you one example and then you will know that we were not quiet. If it was not for Kashmiri Hindu activists, Kushal, I'm telling you this with a lot of um, responsibility. If it was not for Kashmiri Hindu activists, Yasin Malik would have been fully rehabilitated in India today. He may even have become the chief minister or governor of Kashmir. It is only because Kashmiri Hindus, wherever he was invited, they would go and they would protest. A lot of these people are my friends. I have known them. They would go wherever he was invited. They would go and protest. At one place, even an ink was, if you look, an ink was thrown on his face and all that. It was only 
Hindus who were protesting. So there was there was things happening all over. They were writing, they were chronicling, they were protesting, they were doing everything possible that they could. Panam Jashmir came about in 1991. Then they held three massive conferences. It was called World Kashmiri Pandit Conferences. Um, the first one of them was, I think, done in 1995 uh, in Shri Auditorium in Delhi. If the media did not tell you, then what can, I mean, you cannot blame us now for why didn't you hear? We were never quiet. You wouldn't hear us because we didn't have internet saved us. If there was no internet, you probably would not have heard us even today. So, yeah, I guess, you know, then these are the two questions. I'll read them together because you have in a way answered them. I mean, somebody has said, please record as many, you know, eyewitness accounts in news articles, book, YouTube channels. Also, we need more books published in top reputed publications. I mean, she just said they don't touch it. What can they do if they don't touch it? I mean, you gotta, it's like, Are, tum ja ke wo karo. Are, wo kar rahe ye kya agar wo kar rahe ye aisa Even today, ki aapko... uh, Kushal, look at the story on Kashmir files that Time magazine has done. Please go and look at it. They, if that is not genocide denial, I don't know what is. They have called it fake. They have said everything is fake in that story. It is, there is nothing to it. And they have not even given a word, not even a sympathy ke mare ek word for Kashmiri Hindus. This is Time magazine. Does it get bigger than that? In that, yeah. that liberal world? This is today. How do you counter the media which said the Kashmiri Pandits were holding all good positions, money, subjugating the Muslims? I mean, it has been countered. It has been countered. It has been. This is not true. This is not true at all. I will tell you why this thing comes again and again. Because they want to make it a, at some point before... See, the other side always tries to hit you in multiple forms. So... On its, its very crude level, it was a Islamic jihad, and we've been trying to say. But how are you going to sell this Islamist jihad now? Now you are going to. What are the um, communists going to do? Because communists and jihadis are together, and communists are not going to say this is a jihad now. They will call it a class struggle. So they called it a class struggle, and they said it's because just these uh, a few Kashmiri um, Hindus they had all the jobs in the world. Yes, Kashmiri Hindus had white collar jobs, but who was doing all the business and trade and everything was in the hands of Kashmiri Muslims? Let them deny it. Because there was education, the spread of education in Kashmiri Hindus was has always been 100%. I mean, this has been a highly literate community. So they all had jobs. And because of that, now you think that they had uh, monopolized everything. The trade, the, uh, the entire trade and business was in the hands of Muslims. How is, uh, how, why is that not being seen? So, so basically, so, Kashmiri uh, Hindus ka fault ho gai, unhone padhai kar li. How dare you get educated, Sunanda? Yeah. So how dare you have jobs? And now that you have jobs there, so this thing. And discrimination in medical schools and um, engineering schools is ramp was rampant. Ye, I mean, if there is one Kashmiri Muslim who uh, has an intellectual honesty left, they will know that even if they had the positions and they had uh, they had scored very well in exams, they had to go outside. of That was also one kind of exodus happening um, simultaneously. They would all leave Kashmir and to get um, professional school training and everything, you know, because they were not they would not get spots in 
um, uh, you know, medical schools and this. And that kind of discrimination was also happening. So it's not true that, um, uh, you know, that don't, don't paint this into a class struggle because there was none. There was none. There was zero class struggle. And class struggle doesn't happen with 2% population and 98% population. That's, yeah. that's this is an interesting question. This is an interesting. Somebody has said, do you think POK annexation will have any implication on just not just resolving JNK, but also address in some meaningful way the idea of pan-Islamism in India at least? The official Indian position, of course, we know is that POK is the only... Um, uh, beef we have with uh, Pakistan about Kashmir is POK and not um, Kashmir as we, we know it. Only Pakistan occupied Kashmir remains on table and that is the only thing we have to discuss with them. That is the official Indian position. We have not given up on POK at all. Um, my sense is, uh, I don't know if we are ready for it yet. We need to uh, sort of, you know, whatever we have, we need to um, we need to sort of get that into order first. Of course, I have um, um, Shahada Peet is in POK and breaks my heart that, you know, our most revered goddess is in POK and shouldn't be, we shouldn't be uh, going there. But um, I don't think militarily and overall Kashmir is ready to, I mean, India is ready to take that risk at the moment. I, of course, wouldn't know what Indian government will do, but it remains... An issue between POK is the only issue between uh, Pakistan and India, and uh, I, I really don't have opinion about it right now because I think right now Fair we enough. need to solidify what we need to do in Kashmir, what we have right now. Let's fix that. Okay, a cultural question: Since the community is spread all over the world, how is the community preserving Sharda Lipi and the actual proper Kashmiri language and other cultural nuances to pass it on to the next generation? This is a very important language. You know, when you talk about genocide and cultural genocide is also one part of it. We have lost our language. We can all speak Kashmiri, but none of us can write it or read it. Because Kashmiri was written in Sharda Lipi. And when Islamist train came, they started writing it in Nastalik, which is the Arabic script. We cannot read it. I cannot. I can speak Kashmiri very fluently, but I cannot read it or I cannot write it because it's not done now a lot of people so imagine what that does to you that now your language has been completely taken away from you that is also a form of genocide you know your language has gone away we cannot none of us can do that. even my parents generation cannot do read or uh, write they can only speak so we have um, uh, formulated that and then i think we had we had started like i write kashmiri in uh, devanagari script and it's not but it's not um uh, officially recognized like that. It needs to be recognized in Sharda Lipi government needs to do that. But a lot of people, um, uh, you know, organizations, cultural organizations have started going back to Sharda Lipi and they give courses and they've started teaching young children how to write. Like I now know how to write my name in Sharda Lipi in Kashmiri, but that's about it. Uh, I need to do, uh, we need to learn a lot more, but a lot more work needs to be done about this. It's been only 32 years and we've only, you know, uh, we, we've never had the government patronage or the money and resources to do it. But still, we've done a lot. A lot of work is being done, but something needs to happen from the government level at uh, for uh, this, you know, because this is such a huge project, and uh, we've really lost our language, and it, it hurts my um, 
you know, it hurts me that we're not able to read and write Kashmiri anymore. Yes, somebody has, um, uh, you know, just made this question, even though we have been facing uh, uh, Islamic Jihad for 1000 plus years, why in the people of power are not ready to address this issue? I mean, they, they are. are. I don't they know. Are. They are. Yeah, I mean, what nonsense. And somebody has asked a very specific incident-related question, and this will be the last one, and we'll wrap it up. Yeah. Somebody's asked, I've had a Kashmiri Muslim friend who used to say that pundits were complicit about some Kunan Poshpura incident. Will you be able to clarify that? Kunan Poshpura incident, there is no incidents that, um, uh, you know, um, Kashmiri pundits were complicit. We were not even there. Uh, that's an issue between the army and uh, the local um, uh, people. People can read about it and there have been investigations done. And the thing about Indian army is that whenever there is any um, uh, uh, allegation of um, excess, there, 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 are, there is proper mechanism. This is a, uh, Kunan Poshpura is an um, incident that they have taken up and Indian army is not a rogue army. They have entire... Um, you know, uh, mechanism for taking up any kind of excess that may have happened, and they have done that in their own um, way. Uh, there are a lot of instances that are. Um, I, I had written an article once, and it was it was about Indian Army in Kashmir. A lot of um, uh, false allegations have also been poured on Army, and it happens all the time. Uh, and but whatever has been against Army, uh, Army, they have taken it up, and uh, you cannot. Uh, you know, there is no instance where there has been any allegation has been done and they have not taken it up. So, but Quran Poshpura and Kashmir Pandits have nothing to do with each other. We have nothing to do with it. It is, it is not with us. Yeah. Fair enough. So, I guess we'll wrap today's discussion up over here. But before we wrap it up, uh, Sunanda, any last words that you'd like to say? No, thank you, Kushal, for this time. And I always prefer long form. I'm glad you're doing this long form because uh, in four minutes, there's only so much one can speak. And um, I, I am glad to answer any questions, even after this podcast, if people come up with any questions or anything. In about a month or so, I can look at my schedule. We can do this again. And uh, if there is any uh, any more questions that need to be addressed, I'll be happy to come back and address it. Awesome. So guys, we'll wrap today's discussion up. But before we wrap it up, uh, I, I would like to say a few words. I've tried my best over here. So what has happened since the last few days is uh, a lot of questions kept propping up. You know, And look, are the answers always going to be perfect? No, nobody can give perfect answers. But the point is, this podcast was a small attempt to try to answer a lot of these questions that keep bang being bandied about at different portals, which usually lean left or on social media all the time. So we've tried to answer them with as much honesty and responsibility as possible. If you can add to it, fair enough. Also, uh, you know, Sunanda can be reached easily. So when you watch this in the description of the podcast, I will do two things. One is I will add Sunanda's Twitter handle so you can all go and follow her on Twitter. Also, I will add the muckrack profile of Sunanda. So what muckrack does, it's basically accumulator and aggregator. So whatever articles Sunanda must have written, right? If you go on a muckrack profile, sare article ek jaga pe aa it just extracts everything from the internet and it will put it in one place. So you can go and read the articles. They'll just take you to the main link. So that's what I'm going to do. So we'll wrap today's discussion up over here. Uh, please, uh, you know, try to raise 
this issue with as many places as you can with respect with facts no don't 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 be uh, you know all uh, fire so stone and blister and stick to the facts and stay calm we'll wrap today's discussion up uh, and as always i will request each and every one you of you to please subscribe to the charvak podcast youtube channel or go on spotify itunes wherever you know the drill and try to support the podcast in whichever way possible either monetarily or without the monetary assistance also i'll see you guys next time until then take care goodbye